Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, Seattle police started working four tens to cover a significant recruitment problem. A Seattle researcher made a data map of the city's so-called 15-minute neighborhoods and will spill the beans on which Seattle billionaire is the worst carbon emitter. South Seattle Emerald's Marcus Harrison Green and KUOW's Paige Browning are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. You may have to think twice before you take a right on red. A new House bill proposal would ban right turns on red in areas with vulnerable populations like schools, senior centers, and parks. The pedestrian safety legislation is one of many on the topic making its way through Olympia. If passed, Washington would be the first state to ban right turns on red lights. DocuSign, the software company that automates document signing, announced plans to lay off 10% of its workforce yesterday. The Seattle Times reports the company filed a statement with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission saying that layoffs will support DocuSign's growth, scale, and profitability objectives. DocuSign's headquarters is in San Francisco, but they've had offices in Seattle since 2006. No word yet on how many Seattle-based employees might be affected. And Seattle's public libraries are a great resource. Now, starting next month, most of the branches will be open longer. The changes will be phased in during the weeks of March 20th and April 3rd. The library says the additional hours are possible thanks to a $219 million levy that was passed in 2019. Here we go again at the end of another week in the Emerald City. This week, the social housing measure on Seattle's ballot appears to be passing. The city is in the process of settling a lawsuit with businesses around the former CHOP, and the council voted to name parts of East Union Street after beloved community leader Devon Pickett Jr. Marcus Harrison Green is here. He's the founder of the South Seattle Emerald and a columnist at the Seattle Times. Marcus, really glad to have you here. Great to be here as always. And Paige Browning is here as well. She's a news anchor and reporter for KUOW. Paige, always good to have you. Hey, Trish. What a pleasure as usual. All right, you two, real talk. Crime is up and we also have a cop shortage about Two and a half years after the George Floyd protests and the formation of the CHOP, Seattle is struggling to figure out its relationship with law enforcement. In SPD's crime report that was released last week, overall violent crime was the highest it's been in 15 years in 2022. Gun violence is up. Motor vehicle theft is up, particularly in the Northgate and Capitol Hill neighborhoods. Now, Paige, you're a reporter and you were in many stories about this, but you also live here. Mm -hmm. How did you view this report? How did it land for you? You know, this was indicative to me of a city with serious needs. Um, We have we have neighbors, we have residents who are in need of more effective services, more prevention techniques, more individual support. Um, And I, I will say as well, as a resident of the city, you know, I'm a relatively small woman who, by the necessity, has to walk alone in the dark a lot uh, to get to and from work. And it's on my mind. You know, I, I do in the university district. Um, we do hear about crime with some frequency. So it's, it is in my face. But to me, it's a sign of a city that is in need. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Marcus, I know a quarter doesn't make a trend, but 
How are you thinking about this report and perhaps some of the hope during the last quarter, which was that crime was actually down? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it is only one quarter, as you said, you know, it doesn't necessarily make the trend. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is something that's been going on for the last, you know, two, three years here without, you know, any uh, sign of it maybe potentially abating. And I, I think, you know, in, in reading the, an article by Danny Westney that uh, talked about this, I mean, I, I had to agree with my colleague from the Seattle Times when he said, you know, essentially, what in the world is going on, right? I mean, we've talked for the longest time about either we need, you know, alternatives uh, to policing and, and, and other public safety alternatives, or we need more police or, or what have you. But, you know, the thing that we're sort of getting at this point is, is nothing, right? I mean, in <laughs> in any shape or form it's you know we we don't seem to have adequately addressed you know public safety in, in any way and at this point it's you know it's, this is long overdue and so i think people are right to ask what are our elected officials doing and you know how are they spending our, our time how are they spending our, our money and you know at, at this point i think they've had an, a, an adequate amount of time i should say to try to address some of these things and yet they aren't. And so, you know, wherever you fall uh, on the conversation of, you know, policing and, and public safety, I think everybody wants more accountability and they haven't been seeing that recently. And, you know, there are so many moving parts to what we're talking about here. I listen to the scanner probably every evening for the most part. And just mm -hmm. last night in 20 minutes, there were more than a dozen calls. Shoplifter mm. threatening with a gun. A welfare check on a person who'd left Harborview in a state of crisis. A bus stop overdose where someone had already administered naloxone. A woman walking in the 99 tunnel. A bike crash with a possible assault. That is literally just 20 minutes. And the mm. complexity of what emergency responders are dealing with in just that 20 minutes is obvious. But the hot take is Seattle is dying. We are all still here. We are all functioning people in this city. And these are social issues that are playing out. Untreated mental health, untreated addiction, access to services is a major problem. It also reminds me that uh, people are having to take measures into their own hands in a lot of ways. You know, I, I have uh, a number of friends now who carry naloxone for various different reasons. But, you know, people are not waiting necessarily for first responders, business owners who get break-ins or smashed windows handle it on their own. I remember very clearly conversations I've had with people in the Chinatown International District, specifically Little Saigon, who started their own night watch, just community volunteers walking the blocks. So we are in a place where people are taking it into their own hands. Um, and, and Marcus, you referenced that Seattle Times column, which pointing out that we're 300 some officers short than when we were in 2020. And we really haven't seen those filled either in policing or social service providers. Yeah. Mayor Bruce Harrell's efforts to recruit more officers have not panned out so far. And we're dealing with a significant amount of low morale in the department. They recently switched to four tens for officers to try to deal with some of that problem during shift overlap where there's not enough officers out on the street. And honestly, in that column by Danny Westneat, even the police officer who was having a conversation with the guy who had had his window smashed in said, maybe you should just move to Bellevue. Marcus, what do we do when 
Seattle police officers have given up. What does that mean for us as a city? Well, I mean, goodness, I, I don't know if I can say what I really feel and you know not get your FCC license taken away. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I will say I remember talking to uh, just recently I did an interview with Rob Saka. He's a candidate who's running uh, for city council. And he shared a story about uh, a friend of his who was, uh, I think, threatened with a knife by a, a man who was experiencing a mental health crisis. His friend calls the police and they say, you know, that basically they're not coming and this is what happens when you defund the police. And I mean, I think it's just a shame that in the cities that right now and in present day, we have a situation where just our institutions are not functioning correctly. They are not working, whether it's the police, whether it's city hall, whether it's, you know, alternatives that we do not have. And I think the the thing that we need to really start addressing is some of these, you know, root causes of, of things. Like I was talking to a young man, I don't say his name because it was a conversation in confidence, but he uh, recently obtained a, a gun and when just talking to him, you realize why he felt that he had to have one, right? He hmm. he picked one up because he doesn't feel that adults can keep him safe. He doesn't hmm. feel that adults can keep him secure. He doesn't hmm. feel that adults can keep him fed, right? And so in the absence of those things, in the absence of security, in the absence of uh, opportunity, in the absence of uh, food security, right? It is a human response that many of these, you know, when many of these things happen. And so if our institutions continue to fail, to address some of these issues that cause crime, then, uh, you know, I can't foresee us getting out of this anytime soon. And, you know, to your point, Marcus, what is the role of police in these upstream efforts anyway, right? We have talked about using other resources to step in besides Mm -hmm. the police. Seattle Fire Department has Health One, right, which is staffed with paramedics, but that program has not taken off because we have a situation where often the firefighters, the paramedics need police backup because mm. the situations they're entering into isn't always safe. So fire doesn't want to go in without backup. The idea is there to, to pump up our alternatives, to make Health One bigger, to have alternatives to policing. The idea is there There are pilot programs in the works, but they're not replacing 300 officers um, at this time. And I think, and Marcus mentioned the city council race, this is going to be a big topic for the whole election season. Crime, safety, what do we do to get back to, uh, you know, a feeling of compassion in our community? In the meantime, let's just keep it real friendly, you two. Maybe get out and take a walk. Say hi to your neighbors. Geographer and public health researcher Nat Henry wanted to analyze which parts of the city were walkable in terms of being a 15-minute city. I love this idea. He took the idea from Paris's mayor and put together a map to see which Seattle neighborhoods fit the bill. If you haven't read this, a 15-minute city basically means what it says. Anyone can either walk or bike to everything they need within 15 minutes. So the definition includes things like restaurants and grocery stores, schools and parks, public transit. Now, we had you two do a little homework for us and find out yes. how convenient your area of town is. Marcus, I want to start with you. Well, I will say as a glass half full type of person, um, <laughs> the map revealed that I can have a tremendous opportunity in getting uh, my steps in and, uh, <laughs> you know, 
uh, getting out here and burning calories and so forth. I, I live close to Rainier Beach, which is, uh, according to the map, one of the, the least, uh, you know, walkable uh, mm. neighborhoods <laughs> in, in terms of amenities. But, you know, hey, it's, you know, an extra 25 minutes, you know, in, in either direction. It, it, it works out for me. So Okay. Yeah. Okay, Paige, what about you? You getting your Give heart health steps in? I, you know what? I am, Trish. Uh, so I I have a two-part answer. I was living in Capitol Hill, so Pretty obvious. Very walkable. It was like bliss getting around. Everything is right there. You forget one single thing at the store, <laughs> boom, it's there. The post office, the, the pet food store. Okay, I, but I've moved. I'm in Mid Beacon Hill, Rainier Valley, probably not far from you, Marcus. Um, and mine was rated as about a 20 minute neighborhood, which mm-hmm. I think is generous. Uh, but I'm definitely getting my steps in. The the farthest from me, based on this map by Nat, is grocery mm. um, and coffee shops, which is a big one. So it is it's it's a haul for me to walk to grocery and back, which is my preferred way to get anywhere. I like to bike, walk, take transit, um, which is why I live where I live. We picked it based on access to transit, but uh, walkability has room for improvement. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm in the Pinehurst neighborhood, and I was conveniently located to most things, and I was surprised Mm. at how spot-on the walking distance time was because I it's 20 minutes for me to light rail, which is the furthest thing mm. from me. And the map, Nat's map, had me at 18 minutes. So maybe I could step it up a little bit and get okay. there faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pick it up, Trish. No yeah. kidding. No kidding. Some pretty impressive figures, though, based on the map. 99% of people in the city can walk to a park. Within mm-hmm. 15 minutes, 97% can walk to a bus that takes you downtown. Light rail, though, is the dicey one for a lot of people. Only 27% can reach light rail within 15 minutes. I, I got to say, too, I know that critics of these, you know, 15-minute cities, they talk about potentially it being a slippery slope to gentrification. But I got to say, somebody who lives in South Seattle, I I, I don't think we could, there's, you know, farther to go down that slope. It's <laughs> much there. So. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, certainly there's there's room for criticism about the 15 minute city um but uh, to me no city should require that you have a car to live in it. Mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. what i think um i'll just put that out there that you know if you are a walker a biker uh, someone who's in a wheelchair you should be able to get where you need to go we're in a city this is why we live in a city so we can get places nat Henry told the Seattle Times that some people are using the map to decide where they want to move in the city, which I think is funny because if you can afford a house, man, (laughs) go for it. Paige, Mm -hmm. what are some of the must-haves when you're picking a place to settle down? What were you thinking besides, Lord, can we afford it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the big one. Where can you afford to live? Um, But it it was very much for me transit-oriented. I want to be able to get where I need to go. And and if I can help it, not have a car. Um, big on the list for me also is food access and, and grocery store food access, which I'm not especially close to. And then natural space. It's I have a pet. I like to exercise outside. I like to do my my mental health walks outside. And so those were the biggies for me. Yeah. What about you, Marcus? What's on your list that in your fantasy neighborhood when you choose where you live 
<laughs> based on <Yeah>. money. <laughs> it's do I have a wonderful KUOW reporter? Oh. oh. In, you know, <laughs> we've lost in the a plot. 15 minute radius <laughs> of me and. I do with Paige Browning. That's and, right. You know, my fantasies have come true. They've come true. Oh, my it's, God. It's reality. Well, all the best 15-minute cities are places where pedestrians are safe to walk and ride. And sadly, people get hit every day, and even a near miss in this city can be terrifying. There's been a focus on this, and now there's some money coming in to change things in one of Seattle's more dangerous roads, Aurora Avenue North. $50 million of last year's transportation budget has been set aside to make some improvements between 90th and 105th Street. City officials are looking for more money to make future improvements. This money is set to fund projects that would slow the speed of traffic on that 15-block stretch while also making the area more walkable and bikeable with protected bike lanes, street trees, and speed bumps. Now, Paige, you ride a motorcycle, and you're really exposed out there. Do you notice yeah. a difference when you're riding in areas that are designed to slow traffic like this? I definitely do. And, I, and I'm a cyclist as well. And I notice a, a huge difference. I get a little bit freaked out riding on Aurora, even if I'm in a, a vehicle. Um, it's people want to go fast and nothing's really set up to stop them. And I, and I get that we need corridors to get people from point A to point B quickly, which has been a big argument for why Aurora is the way it is. But it is really freaky to ride a motorcycle or my bike on any of these roads that are just, you know, a straight line, no barriers in between. And it does, it definitely will dictate what routes I take. Yeah, yeah. Marcus, this is something. Call him a dreamer. Former state Senator Reuben Carlisle says state officials want to turn that 15-block stretch into the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> it's a pristine example of walkability. Why do politicians say something like Why would they say something like this? Why can't we just aim for safe and livable? Why do we always have to do that? To be fair, right, that the French took revolution and democracy from us. We need to take walkability from them. So I think it's a fair trade-off. There we go. <laughs> We're getting all these references from France, the Champs-Élysées, the 15-minute city. And, and yeah. like that that's beautiful. I love this romantic vision. But that's a much yeah. smaller city land-wise, right? Yeah. All right. One last omission before we go. There's a teenage super sleuth in Seattle that put together a site called climatejets.org. 17-year-old Akash Shendere's goal is to reveal the hypocrisy of blaming climate change on the consumer by tracking CO2 emissions from private jets. There's a whole bunch of celebrities on there. So let's play a little game, you two, Ooh. with some of our Seattle-based celebs. <laughs> We have to note, like the New York Times did in its write-up, the results of the research have not been independently verified. But for the purposes of this segment, we're going with Ooh, it. Oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to give each of you two names, and you got to tell us which one used their private jet more last year and thus emitted more CO2. <laughs> we're going to start with a good one. Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos? Ooh. <laughs> Gonna go with Jeff Bezos on that. Okay. You know, I am too. I am too. Bezos. I need a buzzer. It was Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Wow. 3,058 wow. metric tons of carbon dioxide emitted. Full carbon emissions of 197 average Americans. Bezos wow. was only wow. 1,772. So just 114 Americans there. Average. Bezos, he's just like 114 of us. 
<laughs> Bad joke. And remember, this is just with their private jet, so who knows? Huh. All right, next up, a battle of two social media giants with Seattle presences, Elon Musk, owner of Twitter, and Mark Zuckerberg, founder and CEO of Meta. Bias is going to show here, but uh, Elon? going to say Elon? See, I, I, I feel like I should disagree with you at some point, but Elon <laughs> seems like the more obvious guess to me because he really he's does. sort of all he over really the place Ooh, number two xx mark zuckerberg what? is the correct what? answer yes wow. mark zuckerberg with 2372 metric tons of carbon dioxide full carbon emissions of 152 average americans elon musk a thrifty 1699 metric tons a mere 109 americans represented by musk and last but not least we have a couple of Seattle's most notable departures. Steve Ballmer, former Microsoft CEO, and Alex Rodriguez, former mm. Seattle Mariner. Which one? Which one? I'm going to have Paige go this time and then disagree with her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, ooh, A-Rod seems like a good guess here. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with A-Rod. Oh, gosh. You can split from me. No, no, I'm... Yeah, we okay. go down together. We ride. Okay, we are going down, down together. together because it's Steve Ballmer. <laughs> we are bad at this. Oh, for three. This I'm going to well, keep okay. you guys off. Wait, wait, don't tell me, man. The news quiz. <laughs> <laughs> yep, seventeen twenty metric tons for our friend Steve Ballmer, and A Rod fifteen hundred sixty-five. I was going to say that you did say these haven't been independently verified. So I mean, you know, right. I don't know if we're actually wrong here. I just, you know. That's right. I guess we could <laughs> we could split the difference and say according to this. <laughs> wow. So so top was uh, was the top Bill Gates? Not of the entire list. For our locals, yeah. It's a really neat setup. You can visit the site, and it just shows a cool little bar graph. And it does the um, it does the carbon emission, like, you know, your year-end wrap huh. yes. for Spotify. You can click in on it and see, you know, their actual usage. So, yes. All right, one last one before we go. This is a special non-Seattle bonus round. Billionaire rapper Jay-Z versus non-billionaire rapper Pitbull. Oh. Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and Jay Z travels a lot, man. I mean, you know, he right? Was, you know, he was just at Le LeBron breaking the all-time record the other day. So, <sighs> I wow. Can can you give us a hint on on this? Is there like a hint? The Teterboro Airport in New Jersey factors into this quite frequently. If New that's Jersey. helpful. Okay. <laughs> Does that help us, Marcus? One of these I, two people has an, has an affection for the Teterboro Airport. Okay. I, hmm. I, I, I'm going to say Jay-Z. I'm going to say Jay-Z. Okay. Uh, yeah. I. Let's split on this one. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I can't do that. I'm going to say Jay-Z. Because, <laughs> I, you know, Jay-Z, I think they might have a house in New York mm. and... And maybe yeah. in in Texas and L.A. for all I know. But let's go yeah. Jay-Z. All right. All right. Well, the answer is somehow Pitbull, whose <laughs> hits include hotel room service and give me everything. Pitbull with 3,156 metric tons of carbon dioxide emitted. And fun fact, he also has an album called Global Warming. I feel like <laughs> let us down. We, we did know he 
is did, dubbed yeah, Mr. Worldwide. That's, that's integrity right there. That's mm-hmm. Integrity with his mm-hmm. brand right there, I guess. <laughs> and the winner is neither of you, and the loser is the entire planet. <laughs> oh, too real. <laughs> All right, we've had our fun. We are leaving it there. Marcus Harrison Green is the founder of the South Seattle Emerald and a columnist at the Seattle Times. Paige Browning is a news anchor and reporter for KUOW. Really appreciate you two. Always great. Thank you, Trish. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's show was produced by Vaughn Jones and Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. The show is also produced by Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, Brandy Fullwood, and Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. Find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. Have a great weekend.